Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Hello and welcome to Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast and the place to be for all the best interviews, news and debate from France's top flight. We have a very special guest now in the form of Carlos Bocanegra, the current technical director of Atlanta United in the MLS. Now Carlos left a big mark on Ligue 1 during his playing days, enjoying two years with Rennes between 2008 and 2010 and one season with Saint-Étienne in 2010-11. In this exclusive chat, the once uncompromising American international defender opens up to Robbie Thompson about what it's like running a football club during the current pandemic, why proving yourself in Europe is even harder for American players, and what it's like for a Saint-Étienne player to arrive at Lyon Stadium ahead of France's biggest regional derby. Don't forget to rate our podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us from. But for now, sit back and enjoy this wide-ranging Fascinating discussion between Robbie Thompson and Carlos Bocanegra. You know, I think sometimes it's a it's a shame that uh, some of the sports can't go on, so at least people at home have something to watch and, and, and kind of get away from it all for a little bit. But completely understandable with uh, the pandemic and, and you know health and safety, it's it's the right thing to do. Uh, I think it's just frustrating for everyone in general in sport, but I think in business around the world and, and life. So how, we get it. Yeah. How are you, how are you guys coping with it? What are you, all your players went home, did they? And is the, the U.S. in full lockdown? Are the are your players keeping fit? Are you sort of trying to keep tabs on them? Yeah. So it's different. Um, and in America, um, it's kind of state by state. So each team's a little bit different. Um, you know, the original training moratorium was was till early April, and they've extended it till the end of April now here uh season on on hold until may 10th and we're a little bit different now because we're only two games into our season like you said so um we have the ability to push our season back going to december um we're not like the european leagues where you know they have a handful of games left to complete their season and qualify for promotion relegation so uh, we have a little bit of that luxury where we can uh, back the season up and, and try to still get a whole season in uh, which will be nice um, but our players are, most of them are in market. Uh, a few of them have gotten permission to drive uh, back to their hometowns if they chose to do so. Um, but, you know, we're providing them with, um, you know, physical fitness plans. Uh, we delivered uh, exercise bikes from our training facility to all of their houses and apartments um, the first week when this thing started. Um, and then uh, you know, now we are going to move to something a little bit more structured where a few times a week, uh, we'll have the guys doing some, some video conferencing in and, and with some of our, our coaches and, and fitness coaches doing, um, you know, so they'll, they'll get a bit of FaceTime with each other where, you know, 10, 11 guys on a group doing the same workout. Um, at least they can have some interaction because, uh, you know, we've found each player is dealing with this a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, and I think you know, in general, everyone is dealing with this a little bit differently. So, you know, whether they're home alone, whether they have a family, they're in an apartment, they're in, in a house, you know, being kind of shelter and home now, being able to interact, at least seeing someone else's face. Uh, a lot of the guys were 
starting to itch for that. And, and I think getting, getting the feel that, oh, that would be nice to connect and at least see the guys instead of just their text banter and, and, and the WhatsApp strings that they're on, uh, staying connected. Uh, that, that visual aspect to, to have that human connection outside of uh, just their own space. Now I know I know you were you were looking for a new challenge when when this came up and you you've you've grabbed this new challenge to sort of recreate yourself after having a, a long and illustrious football career to become be, become a, a director of a club, if you like. But you surely weren't expecting these kind of challenges. No, it was, <laughs> I think it's it's been it's been really interesting, and it's interesting to hear how other teams are are going about it, um, especially in other sports. I was on a call the other day with um, some NBA general managers, some NHL general managers, um, and, and a few European football directors of football. And, you know, it was each sport's a tad bit different. Um, you know, the culture of the sport, the, the player, you know, their backgrounds and, and everything like that, where they come from. So um, it was very interesting sport to sport how teams are interacting. You know, some we have you know, 20, 30 guys. NBA has 10, 10, 15 guys. Hockey's a little bit smaller as well. So, um, you know, that trying to have the personal touch still, but letting the guys adapt to this and, and, and still get on with it in their own, their own way. Because, you know, if, if we're forcing everything on them right now and, you know, they have to have the video, they have to have this, they have to have that. Um, it was just real interesting to hear that a lot of general managers in, in various sports we're all dealing with the same challenges uh, and, and no one has the, the, you know, the magic touch or the right answer. It's team by team, individual by individual. Um, and just, you know, trying to get best practices and, and speak to other organizations. Uh, and, and it seems like everybody's in this together because it's not really a, like I said, there's no right way to do it. It's just trying to take ideas and, and then you have to look at your own team and your own environment and, and what is the best course of action for your group. Well, I guess in in some ways that's what you do when you run a football club, anyway, isn't it? On every level, you know, with the with the coach you bring in, with your training facilities, with the way you want to play football. That's it's every everything has to be done to give it your identity and and your feel, doesn't it? No, hundred percent, hundred percent. But it, it is nice to hear, you know, when especially when you hear from other sports because you're not competing against them and there's no secrets or anything like that. Mm-hmm. That is just, yeah, there is some real challenges. And, and how do you get your group to respond? How do you stay engaged with them without over being overbearing? Because, you know, these athletes are used to being so structured, so regimented. They wake up, they eat, they go, they train, they come back, nap, or do their, their little hobby. Uh, they eat and, and rest again. So, and now when it's been kind of thrown upside down and in some places you can't even go outside, um, you know, there's no gyms they can use there. It, it's really, you've got to think the emotional side of things and psychological, how is this affecting them? Um, almost more than the physical aspect, the physical aspect, they will get back and, and mm. guys are going to want to stay fit anyways, but what are they eating? What time are they eating? Do you know, who do they check in with? How are they getting their regular? And, and I think you know, there's, there's so much that people don't realize that, that it's that with the change that affects these guys psychologically. Uh, and like I said, with the athletes, that just that regimented schedule and that, that used to you know, sweating and working out and getting the aggression out, you're just sitting around the house all day. That's a massive change. How would, how would Carlos Bocanegra, the player, have, have coped with this situation? Because I want to talk a little bit about your, your playing career and what it means to be an American here in France. So how do you think yeah. you would have dealt with it? 
you, you just would have been lifting beds and stuff around your house, yeah? The, the same as I'm doing with the, right now. It's <laughs> Everybody's trying to figure it out, right? It's, uh, you know, we were laughing earlier. I'm, I'm not sure how to do my, my eighth grade or my eight, eight-year-old math problems and show the work uh, while also trying to get on a Zoom conference call or Microsoft Teams and figure uh, out a league protocol, right? So it's... I think it. Everybody's having their challenges with with the homeschooling issues, um, or if you don't have you know children, just being around your your partner or being alone, even you know, yeah, um, absolutely. With without that interaction, so um, you know, I fortunately we got a Peloton uh, last year, which has been getting a lot of use, and, and that's been fun to to utilize. But um, I think what we are trying to do, and I'm trying to do personally, is have a little bit of structure, have a little bit of a schedule, um, at the house, you know, still try to get to bed on time, still, you know, try and get a workout in of some sort during the day. But, um, you know, I, I guess on, on the other side, it's really been cool. I've got a little guy and, and being able to see him tons more grow up and he's starting to talk and walk and we're playing in the front yard with the kids. So, you know, with all the travel that we do as, as footballers or, as directors, um, and, and, and again, in, in all walks of life, business, it has been really cool um, to be around my kids <laughs> so much. Um, you know, they're probably like, Dad, it's time for you to travel again. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I'm going to take you traveling back a little bit in time to <coughs> when you to when you were a, 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 an American soccer player at Chicago, and you get a call to go to to England. What what did England represent to you at that stage when when Fulham came calling and 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 how did you seize that opportunity? How did that move come about? And then and what did it mean to you? What were you prepared to do to make it work? Yeah, well, um, you know, I was fortunate. I started playing with the U.S. national team um, a little bit ahead of that, about two years before that that move uh, formalized to Fulham. And um, you know, you've got to have the seventy five percent. Uh, caps for your national team um, uh, in like the the A competitions, right? Qualifiers or, or FIFA sanctioned tournaments to be able to qualify for a work permit if you're not European to even mm-hmm. be to England. So I was fortunate to um, to to achieve. You know, I think I was at like seventy one percent or something like that. I had to go to a tribunal eventually to get through, but I was close enough uh, to do that, so I was able to get in. But it was yeah, it was great. I mean, Premier League is is it was the glory league. It was on TV, um, history, stadiums, famous players, uh, you know, you name it. So that was really cool. It was a great opportunity. And you know, when Fulham, uh, th- that opportunity came up, I was, yeah, I was really excited and looking forward to kind of taking that next, next step, that next challenge in my career. Um, and so it was a pretty easy decision. Obviously they speak English over there at, you know, probably the most similar culture to uh, America. So, um, really, really easy decision for me to to make that first step to Europe, and I think that was nice to go to a country um, that spoke uh, same language before eventually making that next jump to to France, where I understood about three words and uh, <laughs> felt like I was on vacation for about a year after training every day because i had no clue what was going on <laughs> just before we get to france fulham had a strong american culture did you did you feel that you were representing america a little bit every day that that you know here come 
here are three Americans because there was Brian McBride, there was Clint uh, Dempsey as well who was there. Did you guys yep. feel that you were representing America? Did you have something to prove or were you just, you know, the three guys playing playing for this club? No, I think it was always we had something to prove, uh, not necessarily only at, at Fulham. And yeah, I got like the full America title and all that stuff. And Brian and Clint and myself were there and a few others uh, have, have come through Fulham. But it was more, you know, goalkeepers were really the only ones who had kind of yeah. broken through and had any kind of career in Europe. So I think that was anytime you're American and you were playing overseas, it was more, yeah, look, guys, we can we can hang here. We can we can play with you. Um, you know, you fast forward now, you see the likes of uh, Weston McKinney, uh, Chris and Pulisic uh, and, mm-hmm. and others that are, are doing great job field players that are, you know, really excelling and thriving in, in top European clubs. So um, it was, yeah, it was more, you know, we're out there trying to still trailblaze and, and, and gain respect week in and week out. Um, and, you know, uh, hopefully just kind of creates that pathway for more to come behind you and more opportunities. If that if that move to Fulham was a was an easy one in that respect, in that it was something that you knew it was a, a logical step and it was going to be a, a an easy move, the the move to Wren probably wasn't so clear cut, was it? How did that come about? And were you, what was your state of mind when, like you say, when you arrive at Wren and you don't speak the language? Yeah, it wasn't necessarily it wasn't um, so clear cut, but it was it wasn't something I was scared of. It was really cool that. I'd been in Europe. I lived away from home for seven, eight years anyways at that point. Right. So, you know, living in England, living in France, Italy, whatever, doesn't, doesn't matter at that point. In, in my opinion, I was away from home. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that next challenge ran offered, uh, the chance to play European football. Uh, I got to play in the Europa league, you know, got to a cup final. So it was really cool. Fulham, you know, we were a team more trying to avoid relegation and, you know, Happy to say we did for the entire uh, five years that I was there, which was awesome. We stayed in the Premier League. Um, and then Ren was a little bit of a different challenge where it was, hey, we're, we're pushing for, for Europe. And, and, you know, we had an outside shot at Champions League my first year. I think we were like 21 games or 22 games unbeaten. Great squad. The Jimmy Brions, uh, Jan Mvilas. Um, wait, was Jan there or Sinatim? Yeah, yeah no, yep, Jan was yep. there. He just come um, through, yeah. Musa So, Sylvan Marvo, like uh, Peter Hansen, just the you know, end at, at uh, the goalkeeper. So Rod Fanny, you know, it, it was actually a really good team. And for whatever reason, we just caught fire that year and, and you know, close to making Champions League. So that was a cool opportunity for me that it was, um, you know, still really high level football, uh, great European league. Uh, always thought France was a cool country. Uh, and after living there for three years that, definitely solidified that thought i loved it there loved the food loved the lifestyle the country the people everything was great um so different challenge with getting european football which was awesome and that 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 first year you finished seventh just three points i think there were three teams above you (coughs) just one win above you that did qualify for for champions league in that fourth place i think you were three points behind like Lille, um, monaco and psg or something like that the that all finished, but you were third, third at Christmas. So it really yeah. was an excellent, an excellent season for Ren with that cup final as well. The second year, a few players left, others arrived, but then there was a change of coach as well. Didn't gel quite the same way. No, not, not quite the same, but yeah, you have, you had some turnover, still a really good team. Um, you know, I had three coaches, three different coaches in, in France uh, at my two different teams. 
And uh, I'll say I learned so much from all of them. It was a great experience. Uh, all three of them had their different styles uh, of teaching, their, their you know, similar philosophies, but um, the way they implemented it through video tactics, field sessions, everything. So um, it was really cool. But yeah, then uh, that one, that we weren't as successful that year. Um, obviously, after a successful season, a lot of times uh, players are highlighted and they, they're able to move on. Uh, two different clubs they get bought or, or sold um, so um, yeah and then that the following year then went down to uh, San Etienne with, with Galtier and the group down there and lived in the forest of France <laughs> yeah, that was a different experience as well but no, really cool really really loved it there um, a lot of people don't probably know even where San Etienne is uh, but what a fantastic experience I had there and loved that club as well and the 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 well the fans at Ren they're enjoying a, a, a couple of good seasons at the moment as well with that cup final and victory last year over Paris Saint Germain. But Saint Etienne yeah. supporters are famous as well in in France. That the atmosphere in those grounds in France was that different to England? Yeah, the cauldron it was uh, that was unbelievable. So you know you had heard oh Saint Etienne is a historically famous team, a lot of support around the country. Um, 10 11 titles i can't remember how many they had back in the day but um you know quite a few right platini all these guys came through there so yeah um you know you play and support was amazing at the games and then we traveled and it was like oh yeah this is a derby with this team this is a derby with this team and it was like everywhere everywhere you went <laughs> it was like the freaking other team's fans hated you, you know not even only Lyon, but marseille psg so that was pretty cool feeling like um you know one of the big big clubs when, when fan, other teams fans hate you that means uh you're playing for a good club so um, when, that was fun when when at, at that time there'd been a couple of americans had played in the early in the 90s and early noughties there was greg vanny and david regis who who spent time in france but while you were there there was charlie davies there was freddie adu who was at monaco a year while you were at ren yep. um as well and then alejandro bedoya spent three years at Nantes afterwards. What what do Americans and what do, well, particularly you and Alejandro, who spent a longer time in France and made an impact at clubs, what, what do you bring that's different to maybe what the French fans would get from a French player, do you think? Um, I mean, I, I think, I don't know the differences are, are, are good or bad or, or positive or negative, but I think what you get uh, with the American players that, that kind of head over to Europe, you're going to get that workmanship and the work mentality putting in the, you know, whether it's in the weight room, on the field, off the field, um, taking care of ourselves uh, really well, physically fit. Um, and so, you know, I think it's something where a coach can count on you that they know what they're going to get out of you each time you step on the field. Um, and then, you know, you go over there and, and, and you blend it in and you have a mix with, you know, some, uh, able to play with some really, really talented guys at Blaise Matuidi at Saint Etienne, Dimitri Payet at, at Saint Etienne, like, you know, just really top world class players. Um, that, you know, as an American, my job was, you know, win the ball and give it to the good guys, man. So <laughs> let let them go do let them go do the business. But no, I think it's something where um, uh, hopefully what I would what I would like to think is that uh, as an American going over there the coach knows what they're going to get out of you week in and week out uh, and they can count on it. What, what did you see as, a, as, a, as the French football culture or a French player when you arrived in France? What, when you talk about these talented players like Payet and 
and Blaise. There were you also played with people like Jérôme Leroy at at Rennes, Michel Pagis as well, who was quite a a visionary player who could do things that other players couldn't do. Was that something that you'd say the French artistry was something that was new to you? Um, a little bit. I mean, yes, I was very fortunate to play on a Chicago Fire team my rookie year that had the likes of uh, Lubos Kubik, who's a central yeah. defender, but I mean, would be nutmegging people out of the back. He had an unbelievable left foot. Uh, Peter Novak, um, you know, Stoichkov was on the, on my team. So I got very fortunate <laughs> to kind of be put in a group with, with a few of these guys as a youngster and, and learn from them. But I think that the technical, the technical ability, the, um, you know, they call it the formation over there, the academy yeah. system and how they're brought up, right? The, the development uh, in France is just incredible. Um, it, it's, it's something that you notice when you go overseas being an American that as the number one sport in the country, it's really, you know, amazing how much money, time, effort, and all the top athletes are trying to get into soccer from a young age. So yeah. it's competitive all the way down the chain. Um, and I think that breeds, um, you know, even better players. So, you know, it's no surprise France won the World Cup uh, last time around. Fantastic, talented team, you know, had the right mentality, right group, uh, led by a good coach, uh, knew how to get the best out of his players. So um, not, not a surprise to me at all. And we're you know, very fortunate and really happy I got a chance to play there and experience it with some of those guys that uh, – you know, playing against them or with them, some of the World Cup champs. Uh, a last question before I throw some little quiz questions at you then. What about <laughs> French players in America? I know you keep a, a close eye on the French League still. There are, there are a few French players littered around. There have been in the past as well, the likes of Yuri Jokef and, and Thierry Henry. At the moment, there are a few French players in the MLS. Do they, do they adapt well? Do they bring something different to the MLS? Yeah, I think when you talk about like a Jorkayev, that was uh, a little while ago, maybe mm-hmm. you know, 10, 10 years plus when the league was still kind of uh, getting its feet and finding its way. And you had some older veteran European players coming over at the tail end of their career. Um, you know, now you're getting a lot more of the, the mid-20s um, guys coming over and, and making a big impact. And do they translate? Yes. Do they, you know, they transfer well? Yes. It's, you know, I think as long as they're, they're getting in an environment where it's conducive to their talents and their abilities uh, and they're put in the right system a hundred percent because you, you see the athleticism, you see the, the technical ability, um, you see their game understanding, their, their tactical understanding. And just like we talked about their formation. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have a really good base um, and then yeah, getting in, in and around a good team, but uh, Benize, where was he at? Gang, Gangle Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, he freaking scored against us in the uh, <laughs> the conference final last year to tie it up uh, for Toronto. So, um, no, they're, the guys are coming over. And, you know, I hope that we can continue to be a destination for French players um, because I think, oh, and we had, we had uh, Pogba, Florentine Pogba as well yeah, for us yeah. last year. He did a, a really good job when, when he was called upon. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, it, it is a great destination. I definitely have my eye on on that market and uh, you know it's just the ones that are obtainable and the ones that uh, will fit uh, the style of the team I think it's a great option for these guys and for and for the clubs here okay so we're looking for your, just your honest answer here who was the best guy that you played with over those three years in France a, a good friend 
yeah, I had the the tightest relationship with the Peter Hansen who that ran with me, Swedish international. Um, just unbelievable guy, captain, leader in the back. Um, spoke like five languages, but again, just a you know guy that you could count on for anything. And uh, we developed a good uh, you know relationship off the field as well. Just great guy. Still keep in touch with him. Did was he? Uh, did he operate as your translator when you first arrived as well? How did how did that work? The language with the at Ren when you first arrived. Did you have yeah. players who helped you out? Yeah, Peter mainly. I mean, a lot of the guys obviously would just laugh at my accent, and um, <laughs> it, it was all in good fun. You know, Jimmy Brion just uh, you know told me every day you want you eat sandwich, you eat sandwich. You know, every day. Like <laughs> when, when I came in, you cheeseburger sandwich. Right? All Americans eat, That's, and. So it was funny, but yeah, no, I'd, I sat next to Peter in the locker room and we played next to each other on the field. So, uh, he would help a lot, um, in the translation. And then, uh, guy like Bruno Sharu played at Liverpool, perfect English. Uh, you know, we had a handful and then, you know, you go on to learn after about six months when the guys kind of open up and they actually speak really good English and they've been taking the piss with you the whole year because <laughs> they actually can speak English. Who was who was the best player? You mentioned a, a few quality players that you played with, world class players. If you if you had to pick one, who would be the the highest quality player you played with in France? I would probably say Blaise Matuidi because he had this unbelievable physical capacity to cover ground, but then still somehow managed to be technically gifted and um, you know composed on the ball and not not turn the ball over. And I always think that that's amazing because I know how. I felt like after making a couple long runs and you're tired and your technical ability lets you down, but it's something else to have, you know, be covering so much ground at such a high distance the whole game and just still be able to keep the ball under control and, you know, focus mentally to, uh, to, to not give silly giveaways or, or, or silly errors on the ball. And he's in such an important position on the field um, that that for me was really impressive. Fantastic. What about who was the craziest guy you played with that you really never could really get a handle on? Uh, there was a few. I'm trying to think. I mean, I would say, you know, who was uh, Jerome Lawal was hilarious. He was oh, yeah? hilarious. A funny yeah, guy. He was just absolutely funny, but like very dry humor, like, but always doing jokes, always messing around, but like, and you know, smiled and just quiet in the background. So he was like a sneaky little assassin, but you know, great guy, great in the locker room, but always trying to mess with people and, and do little, you know, kind of undercover pranks and, and and you know, not getting blamed for it. He's probably still playing. You you know, <laughs> let me just check. No, Chateau Room. He's, he has retired just a couple a couple of years ago. But he played well. He's a, a year, must have played till he was over forty. 41 yeah. or 42. Yeah. No, he was, he was great. Fantastic. Um, who was your toughest opponent? And by toughest, I don't mean best yet, the, the, the best player you ever played against. Who was the toughest you played against? Because as a defender, you would have come up against um, having to stop some big guys. Yeah. Uh, Bafti Gomis was a handful. Um, you In know, the Derby uh, as well with you, yeah? Yeah. Giroud, Giroud, when he was at Montpellier, mm -hmm. uh, was a handful. I'm trying to think who gave me fits. I mean, it was just, there was just so many talented players. Um, but I would say, yeah, a few of those guys. And then what was the little, the Argentinian striker, Lisandro, maybe, at Lyon? Yeah, Lisandro Lopez. I think. Licha. Yeah, one that scored all the goals, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
he was yeah he was fantastic and then yeah you had the benzema what was that leon uh, ben arfa ben arfa back in the day when you know he was flying uh, with marseille so he's had guys coming at you like that week in and week out and so definitely a big challenge but um you know fun to play against those guys did you feel that they were something special those games between saint-etienne and leon I, I did. I, I'll tell you what, like, that's something I, I never experienced before. And, um, you know, outside of the Glasgow Derby with the Rangers and the green guys across town, it was incredible because it was the old Lyon Stadium. Um, I don't know if it was yeah. like the Olympic Stadium or whatever yeah. it's called. But like, yeah. yeah. So it was incredible that, you know, you, you kind of come around the corner and you see all these cars parked in like the drive through of, of McDonald's and stuff as you're driving up and like, they just look abandoned. You're like, what's going on here? But it was just everybody, it was packed to get in there. And then you turn the corner and it was probably 50, 60 yards of, you know, fans like making a corridor, but not your fans, the own fans. Um, and then, you know, the police on horseback and the lining the streets, but stuff is getting pelted at the bus. Your team bus. Yeah. Yeah. Our team bus driving into the stadium. Um, and just like the fans you are not, you are not welcome and, here. No, I'm like, you know, the bus drives past and they kind of surround it from behind. They're slapping the back of the bus and, you know, you rewind, uh, it's, it's about a, I don't know, 40 minute or 40 mile drive from Leon to San Etienne. So you're going up the freeway and every overpass, there's a banner, uh, just kind of like, uh, we are coming to hell and, you know, probably some other French words that I didn't understand <laughs> that, that, that weren't the nicest, but, um, you know, you see that, so it was crazy to see how much it meant to it. But because in another country, you can't use, well, other countries I play, you can't use flares and, and all this other smoke and all that stuff. Um, they were allowed to have that. And so it just became this kind of, you know, firework display and just, you know, what are we driving into right now? There's smoke and flares and police on horseback coming up. So that was quite the experience. And then to get a win out of that, I think. We all went back to Club in Box, I think it was called, in Sanitian yeah. that night and had a, had a big party. It was hilarious. Excellent. The, did the, you have... the one club in Sanitian. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you ever get the hairdryer treatment from one of your, your three coaches in France? And if you, can you tell us what it was about if it, if it happened or the biggest time you saw a coach lose it, maybe not at you? No, I, I have to say, like, the coaches, you know, they would be hard and they're, they're but fair, nothing – too much. I mean, obviously, Antonetti has a, a, uh, he's a got a good reputation. Of, yeah, absolutely. He's got a good reputation of the, you know, like uh, his, his kind of, I'm, I'm not trying to take the piss of him, but he has that kind of higher voice. Kinda, yeah. You know, when he, when he, <laughs> he, he, he kind of gets animated. Um, so, but no, they're, they're good, man. I mean, like, I, like I said, I really learned a lot from all of them. Um, they'll get after you. Even like Galtier I had a great relationship with, but, um, you know, on the field when, when they need to tell you something and, and they want they expect more out of you they, they're going to tell you so um, that's just sports good stuff alright Carlos I appreciate your time I'll let you get back to the family alright I appreciate it bro. <laughs> good Thanks. stuff All right. bye to Robbie bye Robbie bye 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 bye